Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. It's interesting enough, all three scripture passages for this weekend point towards the future, to God's plan of salvation for us all. And how fitting, since next week we embark upon the great events of Holy Week. The events of Holy Week ratify or confirm our salvation, won for us by Jesus Christ. Now turn to the first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is addressing the Israelites held in captivity. They're living as slaves because they've been conquered by the Babylonians. Now, the Israelites think all is hopeless. There's no hope of being liberated. There's no hope for the future. Now, notice what God says. Thus says the Lord, who opens a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who leads our chariots and horsemen, a powerful army. Well, the Israelites are remembering the past events of Exodus in which God liberated the Israelites who were living as slaves to the Egyptians and how God opened the Red Sea and the Israelites passed through on their way to freedom. And so Isaiah is warning the Israelites against the feeling of hopelessness. God continues. He says, Remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago consider not. See, I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Instead, God is now telling the Israelites to have faith in the future. It's only in the future where they have hope, the hope that God will liberate them, not just from their slavery in Babylon, but their slavery from sin and death through the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we feel enslaved. We feel enslaved maybe to depression or anxiety, to fear itself, maybe addictions, or even work itself. Whatever it is, we feel that we're enslaved to it, prevents us from being free. What's the worst thing that we can do? To live in the past, like the Israelites. We say to ourselves, you know, I remember when I was healthy. I remember when I was popular. I'll never be that again. Well, if that's our attitude, we'll always be stuck in the past and we'll never be able to get into the present in order to resolve the problems that we have. Instead, God tells us that we have to have faith and faith in the future. With God with us, he gives us the hope that we will be rescued, the hope of being liberated from whatever enslaves us in our day and age or in our life. And see, this is exactly St. Paul's message to the Philippians in the second reading. With unshakable faith, in Jesus Christ, Paul has full optimism of the future. Notice what he says. It is not that I have taken hold of it or have already attained perfect maturity, but I continue my pursuit in hope that I may possess it, since I have indeed been taken possession of by Christ Jesus. 
Paul recognizes on that road to Damascus, he was taken possession of by Jesus Christ, the last person he ever expected to encounter. And therefore, his life was never the same again. Well, the same thing holds true with us. At the moment of our baptism, we were taken possession of by Jesus Christ. That's why I always say, baptism is the second greatest event in our life. Because at baptism, Christ comes and he enters into and joins his life to ours, never to be separated ever again. For all of eternity, his life is joined to us, which gives us the promise and the hope of immortality to come for each and every one of us. And which is why we always look to the future, because with the future comes that hope, the hope that Christ gives us of a life with him for all of eternity. Paul continues, he says, Just one thing, forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead. I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. Well, here Paul's message is one in which he compares his life of faith as a race, the prize salvation for us all. Paul is encouraging us to summon the courage and the energy to charge after to look forward and to pursue a life with Jesus Christ each and every day of our life. Consequently, that should be the basis for optimism always in the present life, but also in the future. Now, that's a great segue into the gospel. In the gospel, we hear that classic story of the woman caught in adultery. Now, notice how it begins. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, But early in the morning, he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him. He sat down and taught them. Jesus routinely goes off early in the morning, and he prays. But notice where he is praying, the Mount of Olives. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a precursor to Jesus' agony in the garden. Jesus knows that. That's why he's already preparing himself for that event. Notice also the other thing. It's early in the morning. And what do the people do as they get up? They go immediately to Jesus and they listen to him teach. They don't go to the marketplace and buy food. They don't go to work. They don't go and visit a friend or a family member. At the very beginning of the day, they go and they listen to Jesus. Therein lies a great question we have to ask ourselves. At the very beginning of our day, what do we do? Do we, like those people, go and listen to Jesus? The first thing that we do, do we pray to Jesus and listen to him? That's a great way to start each and every day of our life. And you know, it's not hard. In fact, we can be very creative with it. When we get up in the morning, say we commute to work. Well, turn off your phone and turn off the radio. Now you're all alone in that car. You are all alone now with Jesus Christ. Well, pray to him. Or maybe one of the first things that you do in the morning is you go to the grocery store. Again, turn off your radio, turn off your phone, and now pray to Jesus. And now you can be just like those people in the gospel. The first thing that you do as you begin your day, you go to Jesus and you listen to him. Now the story continues. The Pharisees catch this woman in adultery and they bring her. But they use her as a trap. These Pharisees are not interested in the fate of this woman. 
They're more interested in possibly finding fault with Jesus in order to charge him with something to execute him. Now, these Pharisees have tried this before. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, the story of paying the temple tax, the tax that went directly to the Romans. Now, the Pharisees asked Jesus, was it fair to pay the tax or not pay the tax? And so they tried to trap him. If Jesus said, no, we shouldn't pay the tax, well, then he became an enemy of the state of Rome. If he said, yes, we should pay the tax, then he's not a good Jew, nor is he a good patriarch or countryman. And so we see the same thing happening now in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. The Pharisees are not seeking a legal advice from Christ. The question is intently designed specifically to trap Jesus so as to have something incriminating to charge him with. Now, if Jesus says, yes, we should stone the woman, then the Pharisees will report this to the Romans, that Jesus is committing a crime. Why? Because under Roman law, Jews were not permitted to carry out capital punishment. Only Romans could do that. On the other hand, if Jesus says, no, don't stone the woman, then the Pharisees would discredit Jesus. They would call him a false messiah who contradicts Moses' teaching. Now realize, in the Torah, it clarifies that adultery is a capital crime. So how does Jesus respond? It says he bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. Now scripture scholars for centuries on end debated, what was Jesus tracing in the ground? Was it scripture passages? Well, I personally feel Jesus was doodling. Why? Because he was so bored. Think of it. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, can run circles around these Pharisees. He knows exactly what the Pharisees are up to. He saw through it immediately. And so he's bored with these feeble tricks to trap him. Now, how often do we do the same thing? You know, we are at a meeting, maybe we're talking on the phone, and we start doodling. We start drawing pictures and things like that because we are bored. Now, Jesus responds. He says, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. Jesus brilliantly eludes the trap. He doesn't authorize the stoning of the woman to avoid incriminating himself, and he doesn't contradict Moses' teaching. It's genius. His response essentially turns the tables on the Pharisees. Remember how the story began. The Pharisees bringing this woman to Jesus because what? They thought they were innocent. And so Jesus reminds them that they too are sinners. And by them walking away one by one, they publicly acknowledge their own sinfulness. Now one last thing. Notice how Jesus treats the woman. He says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go now, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Jesus does not condemn her, nor does he condone her actions. But he challenges her to look to the future, a future life united with him, to grow always in their faith. And that's the key. That's the key for us all. Jesus says the same thing to us. Yes, we come to Jesus and we acknowledge our sin. And Jesus does not condemn us, nor does he condone our actions or our words. Rather, 
with a great deal of love and mercy, he forgives our past and then challenges us to look to the future, the future in which our life is united to the life of Christ. And that's a future of hope for each and every one of us, a future of immortality to come. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.